Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. Today's guest is Birchin Kaplanalu. Birchin is the executive director at the innovation office at Oracle. He's responsible for leading industry strategy and innovation at Oracle's global construction and engineering business unit. He's also co-founded the Oracle Construction and Engineering Lab and is an adjunct professor at Northwestern University's McCormick School of Engineering. Thank you for being here today, Birchin. Thank you. So for individuals that aren't familiar with your background, can you give a little bit of insight on your career journey? Absolutely. So um, I follow two career paths. One is academic, one is uh, business. I received my PhD at, in Chicago at Illinois Institute of Technology. And uh, at the same time, I was actually working um, in business. And after I graduated, I actually started teaching at Northwestern. It's hard to believe now it's over a decade. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm at this master's program at McCormick School of Engineering. In terms of business life, um, I work for um, the same company for a very long time, almost 17 years. Company's named Lundy's, and um, their office, they have a major developer, builder, contractor around the world. Um, the company used to be called Bovis. They built many, many high-rises in Chicago. They've been here for a long time. So I've done various operational roles for the company. And um, my career take me to this role at Oracle. It's because of my passion and interest. So I... Um, had the interest of technology, interest of, you know, continuous improvement processes and what we can do for productivity and safety. So I was, you know, working in corporate innovation within the organization for a long time, and I then had the opportunity to actually make this change. So construction and engineering has been a big part of your career journey. Talk to me about what led you to um, that industry and what inspired you initially. Legos. Legos. Yes. So I have an identical twin brother who lives in London, and we always played with Legos. We always built things. I became, you know, got a degree in civil engineering. He became an architect. And then, you know, we've done different career paths. I think we always enjoy building things, and one of the key things is it's really tangible. So um, I can look now in Chicago skyline and say that's the project I worked on, and, you know, hopefully that's going to stay for a long, long time. <laughs> and um, having things tangible, I think that's that's really exciting, and, and building things where, you know, people can live in and function, and I think that's that's the exciting part. As a fellow Legos fan myself, um, I appreciate that quite a bit. I remember growing up and having my full floor, my bedroom floor was nothing but cities built in Legos, so that's fantastic. Um, so innovation is such a broad topic, but what does it really mean to you? I think for me, innovation means solving problems, solving problems. And if I just specifically look at construction engineering, um, for you know, two, there are two major issues that we've been facing um, for decades, which is um, safety and productivity. Um, every conference you attend, every you know meeting you go to, you hear those two things. And I think solving those two problems with innovative solutions is is what innovation means for me. Fantastic. And with your role at Oracle, how would you describe how Oracle does innovation differently compared to some of the other organizations you've been at? So um, 
Look, we do the traditional things, which is we develop products and solutions. We have, um, you know, development teams work on those. We also acquire companies, like everyone knows that. Um, and we're a public traded company. And what we have been doing differently is we have been building an open ecosystem. And we've been partnering with startups. We've been actually partnering with te- other technology companies who have complementary solutions to solutions we have. Um, and, you know, one new thing, and this is what I am really excited to talk about today, is what we did in um, Chicago. Um, we built an innovation lab, which is a simulated construction site, an actual site um, where we can provide visitors immersive experiences. What I mean by that is it's like going to Disneyland. You know, you're you're the Peter Pan. You actually are the character. Um, you're a project manager. You walk into the life of a construction worker. You experience problems. You solve them with technology, process, um, and it's like a 45-minute experience. Um, we also use the lab, which is the physical site, to actually test and prototype technologies and see the solutions we provide, how we can actually improve the process and and bring the best value. I'm such a big fan of this effort. And the reason why is because for for such a long time, um, uh, labs were kind of considered this this corner of of a space within a large organization that uh, you need to have a special key card to enter into. And essentially, it sounds like what you've done is open it up. And in the spirit of some of the, the transparency and being able to help large companies solve some of those challenges, you're now opening the doors up and letting them experience this with hands-on demos, product demonstrations, and being able to prototype. Can you talk a little bit about um, some of the, uh, I guess, responses that you've received since you've, you've opened up the lab? So the response has been tremendous. Um, you know, as expected, we got a lot of requests from our customers to come and participate and actually, um, you know, try new technologies and also go through, you know, some of the problems they have. And, um, you know, corporate innovation is very challenging when you're trying to do it on a construction site. Uh, one of the key reasons is you have a um, high demand risky business you're you know um, it's a low profit margin business um, and every minute counts for someone to come and actually try something new on a construction site that's one of the barriers right actually having a physical simulated construction site helps us and our customers to try some of these pilot them and actually see how these things work before you deploy on a, on a site um, one of the key things we do at the lab is we focus on the solutions. So, you know, what's your pain point? What is my solution? And the second part is we focus on how can we scale it? How can we, you know, we have it in one location. How can we have 100 locations? Um, as a technology company, we're here to enable these things. So our goal is to uh, provide technologies to do it. But after all, we clearly know, working with our customers, it's going to be all about people and process. So. Let's deep dive a little bit into that process. Um, For the listeners, I'm sure there's some curiosity around how you actually go through that, identifying the pain points. Can we talk a little bit about the the specific process that you go through? What is it like from a timing perspective? What's the level of immersion, et cetera? So... um, uh we do have a UX team, user experience team, and we collect a lot of data um, and information from our customers to understand what their pain points are. Um, that is tremendous research. We spend a lot of resources on it, and it's extremely helpful. 
we also have certain customers come up with specific things that are, you know, major issues for them. So we support that too. So I think looking at the overall market is one approach and also dealing with um, individual issues, another approach. Um, but after all, we all try to do things that actually is going to benefit the larger industry. Fantastic. And what is that like from a timing perspective? Is it, I mean, it sounds like it's very quick and iterative, but how long does that typically take? So um, I think it depends on project to project. Um, sometimes it is, you know, three to six months. Sometimes it's 12 months. But um, like you said, I think what this is doing is following us to the direction of fail fast. Um, we try things, fails, we go another iteration, we try it again, and, you know, we come up with different methods to deal with it. Um, but overall, I think this, we're, we're moving ahead a lot faster than, you know, we used to. So there's a really great video that I just saw, uh, an animated video that kind of describes what this end-to-end process looks like from a journey standpoint and some of the high-level goals that you're looking to achieve with some of your customers. We know that emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence um, and and, uh, virtual reality um, are giving customers a a lot of different options in terms of the types of uh, solutions that they build. what types of technologies are you most excited about as it relates to construction and engineering? So you hit the the top two for me. So, you know, in terms of, um, um, I'll say, uh, augmented reality is, I think, the future of how we display data. Um, um, hardware has still a little bit of way to go to actually get us to that point, and there's been a lot of investment happening into that space. So, very excited about that. But we do believe that you know visualization is going to be key, and really visualize it in some in mixed reality, augmented reality, whatever you call it in that environment is key. Um, artificial intelligence. So, um, that is really relying on the data, right? So in order for us to make the most out of it, we need to have, you know, tremendous amount of data. It needs to be reliable. And all the issues that we have been facing with data ha- is, is the same same for this one. Um, for our industry, for construction engineering, I would put the data issue in three buckets. We either have a lot of data. So we have our ERP systems, we have project control systems, we collect tons of tons of data from from work sites and production and all those things. Um, The second option is we don't have any data on certain things. So as an example, if, um, you know, a a laborer is actually working on, um, you know, you know, brick laying brick or certain parts of construction, by the way, we've been doing bricklaying the same way we're doing last 100 years. So just a point to make that nothing really has changed, right? So if you're actually looking at these, um, we don't really collect actual data like manufacturing does. What does it take from move from point A to B to C? You know, what are the steps? Um, So going back to the first one, we either have a lot of data, we have never really collected some of the data we need to improve our productivity, um, or we have, I'll say, old data. What that means is we report things, right? So we don't have, we never had any sensors on site. So we had, you know, humans saying this is what's done. This is what's going to happen. But we never collected real time data. Right. So those three things, I think, tremendous value to our sites. Now, use of, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence of existing data and cleaning it up and making sense out of it and 
is, is a tremendous value. Starting to actually deal with real-time data and also starting to collect information that we never collected before is going to add even more value to that. I love that. And it, to me, it's so fascinating because you, you hit on a couple areas that I'm, I'm thinking, especially on the sensor side, that that has huge implications on a construction site. Uh, not just from a safety perspective, but just being able to, to measure that, the, the real-time um, data. Talk to me about sensors and 5G. I know the animated video talked a little bit about <coughs> that, but it seems like the construction engineering industries would be the, the some of the biggest beneficiaries of 5G and the, the connected uh, data. Absolutely. So um, 5G is the next generation mobile broadband, and the promise of it is uh, very high speed. There's one uh, gigabytes per second and low latency, which is as low as one millisecond. So if you're downtown Chicago and, you know, you're lucky you get 30, 40, 50, in some places maybe 60 megabytes per second. So one gigabyte is 1,000, right? So the, the significant the difference is, is significant. Latency is important when you're actually doing remote operations. I was fortunate enough to be at Mobile World Congress and, you know, they demonstrated how you could potentially do remote surgeries, right? That's one major thing for, for connectivity. Um, now, we're not operating on, on humans, you know, we're not operating on animals or other things in this uh, on a work site, but what we're doing is you have construction equipment, you have people, you have materials, you have other pieces on a site that constantly move and change uh, their locations, right? So having that latency, have being able to either remotely control it or being able to, you know, do it by itself, operate itself, you do need to have very quick reaction time. That ties to another issue with our industry, um, and I, you know, it's it's becoming more and more of an issue. Last twelve months is labor shortage. So there is giant labor shortage in in the construction industry. Um, there's reports come out every month from a major industry publication talking about sixty percent, seventy percent of contractors worried about completing their work because they're having issues with labor, right? There are places where that is addressed through different solutions. Like um, if you look at around the world, like Japan is a good one. They're trying to address that with robotics and other pieces. But if you think about bringing robots to a work site, um, how is that going to impact the labor force, right? I personally believe that's a complementary to do to the work that's done on the site. There is a lot of repetitive work that's done on a site. And if you have those solutions that are actually connected to 5G, you can either remotely operate them from a different location or you can either have it work itself, right? If you say, let's say you're building a you know, a masonry wall, the wall is actually built by itself, right, to um, this equipment. Um, connectivity is going to be a major thing. How far do you think we're away from that? So um, um, I was asked this question this week, um, did a presentation about robotics and construction. And I, I think when it comes to trades, so there are solutions out there which are addressing trade issues, like there are robotic solutions which are trying to address scaffolding, excavation, and certain parts of construction. Um, I think those are not in short term. The reason behind that is 
we as humans are extremely skilled, right? So we can maneuver things really fast. We can control them. I think remote control equipment has, uh, in the short term, uh, there's a lot of place for it. But when it comes to trades, I think that is, um, uh, you know, the key is for robotics, it's not agile, right? So agility is key to actually work on a site. It's not agile. Um, but also, you know, working for a technology company, I can say this, it's really hard to predict the timelines, right? Things can happen really quickly and really revolutionize those industries. So hard to tell you that. But for what I see today, I think uh, robotic solutions addressing um, trades um, uh, have major challenges to address. The ones I see tremendous value and, and um, is solutions that are more in the data capture as an example, you can fly drones and construction and engineering is one of the top users of um, drone licenses. Um, um, you can fly drones, capture data, right? That's, that's another way of sensor collecting information. You can use autonomous rovers, um, you know, equipment that actually scans the site. So that's the part, I think, um, as a short-term benefit because... Uh, nobody wants to spend time capturing data on a site, right? That's that's boring. It's repetitive, and like I said earlier, you know, you, you want to avoid things that are repetitive, um, and and also high risk. Um, so I think data capture, prefabrication, are the two things that um, those technologies will will benefit this industry. Fantastic. And if you were to think about what the workplace of the future looks like five to ten years down the road. That's where it gets interesting. What's your take on the, the not necessarily the immediate future, but the, the far further future? So um, now I have to look at my crystal ball. <laughs> and um, so when I look at that ball, I see um, a lot of, um, like I said a minute ago, a lot of um, robots or those solutions similar to that is supporting the workforce on a site. And there is a lot of research down, done on robotics, which these robots can actually work with people. So if you look at today, the, generally robotics is you go to a manufacturing facility, they're isolated. You know, when they operate, humans actually do not enter that area. You right. keep them out of it because of safety and other reasons, right? Um, so there is a lot of research done um, last two, three years about coming up with these, even those arms that, you know, will carry material is they're making them lighter. They're making them when, when it actually, like when it touches a human, it stops itself automatically. So they're making them more human-friendly in, in some ways. Um, I think that's another area that's improving. Um, so if you look at those and assuming that these solutions become a lot friendly to you know, into environments that humans are operating, I think we're all going to work together. Um, future workforce, um, you know, we really have to start thinking what skill set is going to be required in the next 10 years. Um, and, and I want to tie this to the innovation lab. So one of the things we're looking at is, is we're working with our customers and partners and, you know, ecosystem about how to come up with the best process and practice. We're also um, started to get engaged with universities um, to really, you know, bring the university students to the lab and have them experience these technologies and touch and feel and see how that affects them. And also, in some ways, guide them towards that, you know what, hopefully, 
you know, when you graduate or even the labor force, bringing in labor force is the other angle, um, and making our industry interesting, right? Um, and showing people that it is not uh, the way we do things last hundred years and things can actually be done differently. So um, helping using Innovation Lab, the physical site, is actually uh, educating the you know college students, but also the workforce is another uh, angle we're exploring. How can we support the future workforce? So, for the listeners that are in construction and engineering, and they're looking to get a, a, a nugget of advice related to technologies for them to, you know, let's say, quick wins for them to think through uh, in terms of um, affecting their projects uh, on the positive end. What would you uh, advise them on? Uh, first thing I'll say, don't wait. So there's a lot of, you know, um, there are a significant group of companies and, and, and um, uh, people out there who are early adapters, right? They try things and they try 50 things and, you know, they come up, let's say it this way, they come up with 500 ideas within the first two weeks, you know, 250 dies. The, eventually, you, you know, a month later, you got 50 left and then 10 of them you could possibly fund <clears throat> and then you know five six of them you successfully deploy on site and then you might actually do you know scale one or two but that's the reality you have to accept that in order for you to actually deliver this change in the industry and be a leader and innovate you have to accept that's the process and and everything in between is part of the process and you have to be open to fail you have to be open to try these things um I'm hoping this conversation will inspire people to be an early adapter, right? Um, we as we have solutions where we sign up our customers to be early adapters, by the way, our, our technology solutions where they got to work with them and we are basically validating what we built is exactly addressing what they were looking for. Like we have those programs and, and that is really helpful. So to get that engagement, uh, I guess to summarize it, don't wait, just just do it. So last question and most important question of the day, what's the one app on your phone that you can't live without? Um, it's LinkedIn. And, and the reason it's LinkedIn is because I use it a way to educate myself. Um, so I have a large network and a lot of leaders and innovators in, in my industry and following what they're doing, hearing and seeing, and seeing it's kind of like a puzzle, right? So you see these pieces kind of coming together. And even when you watched that video earlier, um, the animation, you saw that, um, you know, most of the stuff in that video is actually happening one shape or form, either in many other industries. And we're just trying to bring them to construction engineering. So LinkedIn, I use LinkedIn as a way to educate myself um, and understanding, you know, what's happening out there. If there's any other place that um, followers or listeners can uh, can find you online, um, is there a specific website or social media handle that you want to direct them to? So I'll say, as I said earlier, connect me on LinkedIn. <laughs> that's that's one way. But we do also have um, our uh, Innovation Lab website where we show an introduction video to show, give you an idea of you know what are the experiences we have. We have that animation you mentioned on the website. So I would guide people to go that. Um, it's a it's a 
I'll say it's a long URL, so probably the easiest way is if you go to Google and write Oracle Innovation Lab, that's the first thing that actually you will find. Um, and um, I would guide. And we also have been doing um, interviews with industry leaders. This is the other thing. Started that um, seven, eight months ago. Um, go interview, um, not, a pod, not, not a podcast like this, but um, interview uh, industry leaders and ask six, seven questions. In some ways, it's similar to these questions that you're asking me. Um, and, and then, you know, turn this into a blog post. We've got tens of thousands of readers to this. And that's actually really exciting because that shows that people are paying attention to what others are doing. And again, we're sharing, right? So this is probably the most exciting part is we're into a place where we believe that the more we do, the more we share, the more we work with others, the faster we're actually going to get to that point. So I would guide, I would, um, you know, ask people to go to that website and check out the blog post we have with the industry leads. We want to thank you for being here today. Uh, thank you for the time and thank you for your thought leadership. You're welcome. Remember to subscribe to Unlocking Innovation wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to rate and review. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time.